I'm Jason Ball, and this is Friends with Friends, the podcast where we discuss all 236 episodes of Friends, one at a time. And today we have a very special friend joining us. But first, <laughs> with my regular friends, Jackie and Vanessa, say hi. Hi, I'm Jackie, and I'm so excited for today's episode. I'm the biggest Friends fan, and <laughs> such a dream come true. <laughs> yes, and I'm Vanessa Martinez, uh, the newbie here in the group, but not a newbie for long because my friends have been educating me on everything I need to know. <laughs> we were supposed to talk about the one with the stone guy today, but we have a very special bonus episode. We have a new friend. Uh, we'll talk about the stone guy next time, but today our special guest is the one and only Morgan Fairchild. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. <laughs> Chandler's mom in five different episodes of Friends. Welcome. And how did that come to be? How did you become Chandler's mom? You know, they just called and offered it to me. And um, it was so weird. The show was on the air, but it had not become a big hit yet. But I'd seen it a few times and I was... Uh, so taken with how talented the kids were individually and then also as an ensemble, which is two kind of different talents. And um, so when they offered it to me, I said yes. And then a lot of my friends in town said, oh, my God, you're too young to be that guy's mother. And I said, well, you know, at some point you have to make that transition. So why not do it now? Um, and uh, and then when I got on the set, I mean, I, I thought the show had such potential and you know, I had a good eye. Uh, and I was right. Uh, but when I got on the set, Matthew came over to me and he said, oh, you won't remember me. But my father, John Bennett Perry, um, played the sheriff on, on Flamingo Road and Falcon Crest, kind of a recurring character. And, and was an actor I'm very fond of, John Bennett Perry. And he says, I'm his son. And I used to visit you on the set when I was nine. Oh, that's <laughs> and so amazing. I thought, well, I guess I am old enough to play this kid's mother. <laughs> that's amazing. And then the, your first time, so you're the one with Mrs. Bing, with that storyline um what did you think of the storyline when they brought you on you know because you kissed ross at the in that episode well i think um you know they'll tell me if i'm wrong but i think originally they were going to have chandler catch us in bed together but they didn't do that um and certainly 25 years ago i mean that was a little more risque than it would be even now the kiss was pretty risque for the time um so i thought it was kind of fun i'm i it was obvious that um the chandler mother relationship was kind of a mess <laughs> so, and um you know that i embarrassed him his whole life so um i, I thought it kind of worked given the character that she is you you you'd always tell that you know nora loved chandler and chandler loved nora they just had a complicated relationship right well yes i mean i think it was complicated on a couple of levels first of all because nora was sort of this bigger than life, nor uh, uh, anti-mame kind of character. And, you know, that had this whole other sophisticated kind of level. She was never gonna be Donna Reed. She was never gonna be Leave it to Beaver Mom. And then on top of that, I, her underlying bitterness and I think his underlying self-doubt because the father had abandoned them, you know, for the gay Filipino houseboy. <laughs> so, um, so I think she has that underlying thing and that's another kind of bond of, of coming together, but also abandonment that they both shared. And did you know the storyline going into it or did you have a say in how you wanted it to play out or any of the lines you wanted to say? 
Oh, honey, I never questioned any of that. They're such great writers and they always gave us such great material and they were so clever. And, you know, as an actor, you're always grateful for that because a lot of times having been the star on my own shows, if there's a good line, they'll give it to the star. On uh, Friends, they always wrote for all of us. So, I mean, I love the lines that they gave me. I've got a couple of memorable ones from, from the show and, I, and I've always appreciated that they didn't make us just ancillary characters. We all had real individual characters with real individual stories and and good writing. What are some of your favorite lines? Well, you know, my very favorite is, don't you think you have a little too much penis to be wearing a dress like that? Yes. <laughs> Still my favorite. One of my favorites in a long career. <laughs> yes, yes. That was with Kathleen Turner during the wedding episode. Yeah. It was so amazing. How was it working um, for those because those are a couple, three episodes, you know, where Chandler and Monica get married. How was it working with Kathleen? Oh, lovely. I think they thought perhaps Kathleen and I would have cat fights or something, the two divas, but um, she's just such a wonderful down-to-earth actress, and um, I've admired her for a long time and kind of known her peripherally for a long time, so there was no problem at all. We just, I just adore her, and she had brought her daughter to the set as well, who was about nine at the time, and so uh, when she first got to the set, she had to go down to another town stage to do It's Raining Men, and her daughter wanted to stay where the friends were, which was on our soundstage. <laughs> and so she said, will you watch my daughter? I said, of course, you know, come oh. <laughs> I'll be the babysitter. <laughs> and oh. then the day we shot the wedding, she was so cute because she came over and she said, you know, would you mind if my daughter sat with us in the wedding and was an extra? And I just looked at her and said, any kid in America would be so thrilled to be part of this wedding. Are you kidding? Of course, bring her over. <laughs> so that's Kathleen's daughter sitting with us at the wedding. <laughs> oh, that's a great little tidbit. That's yeah, awesome. it was fun. Uh, the way they divvied those stories up, um, Kath, we, we shot them over a period of two weeks and uh, the kind of rehearsal dinner stuff because it was big, big scenes. And uh, Kathleen was in the rehearsal dinner and wedding stuff. And then Gary Oldman had his separate storyline on another soundstage with Joey where they were doing all the Errol Flynn kind of sword fight stuff. And so the first week we had to shoot without Kathleen because she was booked on something else. And so um, Alexis Roquette, uh, um, Arquette, who is Rosanna and Patty Arquette's brother, sister, uh, trans, um, played Kathleen and did the scenes with me in front of the live audience and did all the scenes and, and we did everything. And then when Kathleen came back, you know, got there, then we had to do those scenes over again with the live audience. So um, we were really kind of jerry rigging the whole episodes, trying to make sure we got all the scenes. And I was so disappointed because I did go down and watch um, uh, Matt and uh, Gary Oldman do their scenes. And oh my God, Gary Oldman is so funny. And he, he was just hysterical doing this Errol Flynn stuff. And, and a lot of it didn't make it to the air because uh, they were just short for time, but it was hysterical. And I, I finally, I took him aside and I said, Gary, you know, you are so funny. You should be doing more comedy. And he just looked at me and he said, oh, darling, they never cast me that way. <laughs> so, you know, a couple of hours later. Um, but awesome. he's a really talented comedian. I bet anybody would ever cast him that way. And just such a lovely guy, lovely guy. So it was great having him and Kathleen there um, because a lot of times when I was being the guest star, it was just me and the friends. And this time we had, it was more like a party and the whole rehearsal dinner, lots of extras, lots of all the parents coming together. It was fun. That's so great. After that <laughs> 
episode that would you would, would the character would, would come back or do you think it was just a one-off well i thought she would come back sooner than she did because the ratings went way up um and the two matthews i saw in a in a store i guess on their lunch break and they came over running to me and said oh you got us in the top five or whatever uh i don't know if that's true but that's what they said but it was you know i thought because i felt like i kind of helped that um that that had me back sooner but they didn't you know i mean god knows they had a lot of material to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And then we spoke about this on the live stream, but for our podcast listeners, you know, um, I asked, you know, it all feels like a family to us when we watch it because we love this and we resonate with it for so many, on so many different levels. What was it like going on to set in the first time and, and feeling that as well as guest star? Well, you know, it was really lovely. Um, having been in this business a long time and done a lot of shows, um, a lot of times there can be friction with cast members and, you know, jealousies and one-upmanships and things. And as soon as you arrived on that set, they were already best friends. Like I said, it wasn't, um, I went on early, so the show was not a big hit yet. And however many episodes had already done, they were already great friends and playing poker together. And, you know, they were sweet. They'd asked me to come play poker, but they all smoked in that room. And I, I can't have asthma. <laughs> so I couldn't go in there. But, um, but they were already just best friends hanging out together. Uh, it did feel very family. And especially because I knew uh, Matthew's father uh, from other shows, I felt part of the family, too. That's so awesome. Lisa Kudrow. Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston said that they all used to eat Cobb salads at lunchtime. Did you ever see that happen or did you ever eat with them a Cobb salad? Um, no, I kind of, uh, I think they all kind of ate together. And then the, uh, the rest of us, whoever, we kind of were eating in our dressing rooms. And so um, I don't I don't know what they had for lunch. <laughs> no big secret. <laughs> First, you know, you were talking, you referred to it earlier, making that transition to playing the mom. Was this the first kind of mother character that you played? No, it wasn't the first mother character, but it was the first time I played a mother of a grown man. <laughs> a young man, but a grown man. Usually when I played mothers, it was, you know, 10-year-olds. So it was kind of a jump. <laughs> now they're playing their grandmother. <laughs> well, you had such an amazing career. And I, you know, I was looking back and I learned something new about you. I didn't realize that your first role was playing Faye Dunaway's double in Bonnie and Clyde. You must have been a kid. What was that like? Yeah, no, that was fabulous. I started in the theater when I was 10. And so uh, all through my teenage years, I was doing theater productions, uh, movie runaway production movies, uh, um, commercials. There was a lot of runaway production to Texas because it's a right to work state. And so I was um, I was getting ready to open a funny thing happened on the way to the forum one night. I was on my way to the theater and I got a call from uh, a gentleman who owned a lot of the sound stages where we shot in town. And uh, he says, hey, you want to be in a movie? And so I said, oh, sure, you know, uh, when? And he says, tomorrow morning. And I said, oh, OK, I'm opening a show tonight. OK. And he says, well, be there, be at the Central Park Inn at uh, five o'clock. And I said, 5 a.m.? <laughs> he said, yes. I said, I'm opening a show tonight. I'll be getting home at 5 a.m. You know, and so he so he said, no, 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 you know, be there or you can't do it. I said, OK, OK, I'll do it. So and, and as we're just getting off the phone, he says, oh, can you drive stick shift? 
And of course, being an actor, I lied and said, sure. You know, so then I got to the theater and said to all the guys, you got to take me in the alley at intermission and show me how to drive stick shift. <laughs> so, but I didn't know why, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, they put us all on a bus and, you know, we go out to the middle of nowhere, Texas, about an hour and a half outside of Dallas, which is, you know, back then, especially really nowhere. And so we get off, it's still pitch black. And I'm looking around, looking around. I don't know what to do. I've never been on a movie set before. So I'm, I said, what should I do? And so one of the older guys says, well, uh, why don't you go down the road there and go look at the set? And I said, OK, where is it? He says, oh, it's, it's down the road. You know, of course, it's out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So it's like a rutted dirt road. So I start walking down this road, trying not to trip on anything in the dark. And the sun just starts coming up. And I'm like walking and walking and walking and nothing so finally, I see as the sun is coming up, I see the silhouette of this young man coming toward me, kind of James Dean, kind of hunched over with his hands in his pockets. And and so I said, excuse me, is this the way to the set? And he looked up at me uh, with the with the dawn coming up behind him. And it was Warren Beatty. And he said, of course, I'll be glad to show you the set. <laughs> so, you know, and so uh, it was great fun because for a lot of people, it was also their first movie. It was Gene Wilder's first movie. He and I were hanging out together on the set. And um, I think Gene Hackman, it was maybe his third movie, Faye Dunaway, maybe her third movie, Estelle Parson, maybe her third movie. So, and, and of course, I had I hadn't seen a script. I just knew it was Bonnie and Clyde. And I knew the story because I grew up in Texas. But I, I didn't know anything about what they were doing. And, you know, whenever you're working on a movie, you never know if it's going to be a hit. You never know if it'll even get released. It was Warren's first movie as a producer. And, you know, um, I mean, I'd go to high school and my teachers would follow me around and say, what's Warren Beatty really like? And I'd say, he's really smart. And they'd say, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, years later, when I was running for president of SAG, I was talking to Warren and he said, you know, you're the female version of me. Everybody underestimates you because of the way you look. <laughs> So, but it was it was great fun just to hang out. Arthur Penn was terribly nice to me. I'd sit and kind of baby his sit his children between scenes, and a lot of it was like way out in the country. I mean, it was kind of like a big picnic and kind of big days. You'd hear when they're having the Ring of Fire. I didn't know what that was. Everybody kept talking about the Ring of Fire, you know. So uh, anyway, and I was there like the night they shot the big um, breakaway scene where they get cornered in a motel and and they all get shot up and everything. So it was very exciting for a kid. I mean. I was 16. It was fun. <laughs> I have a question. One more question for you. That's, I don't, if you don't want to talk about this, it's cool. Where did you pick your name? I, um, when I was 16, again, a friend of mine from acting class that I didn't really know very well came up to me and said, there's a movie playing at the art house in Dallas. I think at that time there was only one kind of art movie house. And she said, and it's you and you should go see it. So I went to see Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment by Carol Rye, starring David Warner. Vanessa Redgrave got her first Academy Award nomination for him. And, and it's about a man who lives in his fantasies and thinks he's a gorilla. And um, growing up in Texas and having aspirations to be an actor and do other great things, I kind of tended to live in my fantasies. And I didn't know how this girl knew me that well because she didn't really know me that well. But um, but that's where I got the name Morgan, because, I, you know, it was my fantasy to go out and make a new world for myself and a new life. And that's what I did. That's amazing. That's a, yeah. 
So do you feel on Falcon Crest and everything with your big career, do you feel, what do you get recognized more for? Is it because of friends or is it from, from your previous work? You know, it kind of depends on the age range. Um, I still have older fans who recognize me from Search for Tomorrow, <laughs> you know, back in the 70s. Um, uh, people closer to my age, uh, it's Falcon Crest, it's the other, it's uh, Flamingo Road, it's Paper Dolls. A lot of people really, that was my favorite series, so I was really sorry when that one got canceled. Um, some it's North and South. Um, and then for younger people, it's either the Old Navy ads or it's Friends or sometimes it's Pee Wee's Big Adventure because even though it's an old movie at this point, people still show it to their kids a lot. Yeah. So I have a big Pee Wee's Big Adventure crowd that, that love it. Um, so it just kind of depends on, uh, you know, for a long time there when I was doing the Old Navy ads, I'd have like three-year-olds come up to me in airports and do, you know, Old Navy, Old Navy performance. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. You mentioned when you were picking out your name, you know, you were 16, you wanted bigger, better things for you. And at what point in your amazing career did you realize, you know what, I actually did this? You know, each, um, when you start out as young as I did, each break is um, a big thing. And so each job, I was just glad to have a job. I got married really young and ended up supporting my um, ex-husband and his mother through a lot of stuff and making their house payments for them by the time I was 18, 19. So every job was great. And it was just great. <laughs> so, um, And then when I got to New York and I made a decision to quit going out and doing theater, if I was going to live in New York, I wanted to see if I could get a job in New York. And six weeks later, I got Search for Tomorrow. And that was a big break, you know, being on television every day. And then uh, when I decided to come out to L.A., um, I realized because like I did Kojak, I did a few things that were shooting in New York. But I realized that anything that wanted a waspy blonde, they were going to cast it in L.A., not in New York. And so <clears throat> I decided um, I'd come out to L.A. and try my hand and see if I could get a job. And I was so lucky. I was here for about two weeks and I got a job playing a blind ex-Peace Corps worker with Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner and, and um, you know, all of these good Braveheart and everything. And, and so here I am getting to do a part with almost no makeup, my hair in a ponytail with a kind of legendary actor. And I thought, I have arrived. Now they're not going to make me do all that glitzy stuff. Well, of course, that was a um, but I, at that time, you know, I didn't realize how lucky I was to, to get my first job. The first job is really hard because nobody wants to take a chance on you if you don't have a resume. And although I had a resume in New York and had a resume in Dallas, it meant nothing in LA. So, um, Ruben Cannon, who was a casting director, uh, at that time, and he's the one who stood up for me and said, no, she's the best one. Give her a chance. And so, you know, that was great. <laughs> I loved That's it. Awesome. And then I just kept working, but that was drama. And then I started getting cast in the sitcoms and Happy Days and Mork and Mindy and uh, Newhart. I mean, kind of if they needed a glamour girl who could do comedy, I was your kid. <laughs> so. Well, I, mean, I was telling them in an earlier episode, I mean, Flamingo Road, Falcon Crest, I mean, you were a huge sex symbol in the, you know, the 70s and 80s. But, you know, I've been reading your Twitter lately and there's a, there is a lot to you. I mean, you're, you, you, you're very versed in politics, you know, infectious diseases. I think you have a lot to say about coronavirus and COVID-19, right? 
Well, yeah, what people didn't realize is that I actually wanted to be a doctor or a paleontologist. And so uh, I kept my hand in on the science. So my Twitter feed is sort of rather eclectic grouping of stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so political until Mr. Trump got elected. And he kind of made it more political because mm -hmm. they're cut. There's something every day. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's kind of inescapable if you want to be topical. Um, but also because my uncle was a judge, my cousin prosecuted for the Justice Department. I grew up on a lot of the legal issues and a lot of the constitutional issues. That means a lot to me. And what's become sort of apparent to me over time here is that a lot of people seem to have never had civics class. When I was a kid, we had civics class every day through your whole, you know, one through 12. Uh, you had some kind of civics class every day. And um, a lot of people don't seem to really understand what's at risk here with the way some things have been being done if you don't respect the Constitution and the way things are supposed to be done. If you just squash everything, your democracy falls apart. So I've been sort of busy trying to defend that and also with the coronavirus because um, one of my odd hobbies is emerging viruses and epidemiology. And so um, that's I was at the forefront of the AIDS fight uh, because I was the only famous face they had who could go on Nightline and explain what a retrovirus is and how it works and talk about that. Did the first town hall Nightline ever did on viruses. And that's when I first met Dr. Fauci uh, back in the 80s. And he and Surgeon General Coop at the time, uh, we were all joined at the hip all the time on AIDS. Uh, I was testifying before Congress to get AIDS funding. I was was working on, I was there for the unveiling of the first quilt, visiting hospices, opening the first AIDS veterans wing in New York with Mayor Koch. That's how long ago it was. And um, doing all of this, I lost a lot of friends who didn't want to have me around because I visited hospices and didn't want me to eat off their plates and didn't want me to be around their children. And you sort of found out who your real friends were. And um, and then I, I lost a lot of work, too, because I became controversial because it was uh, uh, you guys all look pretty young. So you may not remember how the fear mentality was in the 80s, how bad it was in this country. And, um, you know, I felt it was my moral obligation to try to get out there and fight to get it treated as a disease and get the stigma off the gay community and just have it treated as a disease. So I sort of did a lot of that back then. I mean, I. Because it was so controversial, I felt like it was kind of up to me because I was the only one that I knew of that could that knew stuff about viruses, who had a famous face, who could get on there and explain things. So um, I took a lot of hits for for people and tried to make it safe for other people to get out there. And that's one of the things that I prided myself that I did, because um, one of my friends who's a publisher of one of the uh, big celebrity weeklies had called me up when Rock Hudson was still alive and said, you know, um, I, we want to do Hollywood fights AIDS. We want to do a big group picture. Would you do it? And I said, sure. <clears throat> and a couple of weeks later, he called me back and he said, oh, thank you so much. And I said, for what? And he said, well, everybody turned us down until you said yes. And then you made it safe for everybody else to say yes. And that was, to me, sort of symbolic of what I did in the 80s and, and working on AIDS, not only getting the funding going, but trying to get the stigma off of it and trying to make it safe for people to stand up against the stigma and the fear mentality. So, um, you know, lost a lot of work, lost some friends, <laughs> but yeah, it was the best thing I ever did with my life. I know I helped save lives at that time. So, Well, thank you for doing yeah, Thank you. <laughs> It's what you do, you know, you try mm -hmm. to do the right thing. But so many people live in fear of their image and their, their self. So thank you for being out there and being bold and taking that stand. 
Well, thank you. At the time, I was a big sex symbol, so I thought it was better coming from me that people might listen for me to say, honey, you're going to have to change your sex habits. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to have to get more careful. <laughs> that makes it better for me than a goody two shoes, you know. <laughs> I have a new show uh, out in the, some of these same topics, I think you're feeling it. You're playing a vixen once again in, in the logo show Melange. Tell us about that. Well, Melange is um, kind of perfect for Gay Pride Month because it's a pilot that we did and it's all about a gay nightclub based on Stonewall. And it's um, such an interesting group of eclectic characters who have all come together in this one place, different age ranges. Some of them have been there for 20, 30 years and some of them are new and just in off the street of uh, different characters that have found a way to find friends and bond together. And um, and the club in the script is founded by my ex-husband, who, again, this is getting to be a theme with me. He left me because he was gay. Just like friends, you know, I keep losing these guys. <laughs> my character, Vivian, has... Uh, it's sort of like Nora, who handled it better. Vivian is not handling it so well. And she hates this club and she hates all these people that she feel like somehow stole her husband from her. And suddenly he dies and she was never legally divorced and she owns the nightclub that she hates with all these people in it that she hates. <laughs> so it's, I got a lot of good chewing the scenery scenes out of this one. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it, it's fun because because it's another, again, interesting characters. Anytime you're going to have a long running show and you're going to want people to be invested in it, they have to have characters they care about. And that's what I like about this cast. I mean, some of them, uh, like Eileen Kirsten, I know from God, My Days and Soap Operas, and Robert Newman and I, who plays my ex-husband in the thing, because it's sort of done as a documentary of flashbacks. And uh, he and I had been on the after on SAG boards together. And uh, so, I mean, it's kind of a good bringing together. Alex Newell, the voice from God, uh, we had done a play together. And so, uh, and, and then uh, and one of the others, Darnell, I had done The City with. So it was kind of interesting shooting in New York and coming back together with all these actors that I have known over 50 years, um, coming together to work on a show about outsiders and loners and people who are bonded together kind of out of their own need for camaraderie and companionship. And so I think it's got so much potential. I hope people will take a look at it. It's streaming, I think, still on Logo YouTube, maybe Logo Streaming. So I hope people will take a look at it because we would love to get it picked up and um, and uh, to a bigger uh, audience and uh, get a chance to develop the characters some more. I always love these characters that are so unhappy. Always <laughs> 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 the reason for my bitch, them, you know. <laughs> and I love you walk in with this big old uh, fur coat that's like just me. I tell you, we were shooting. It was like a hundred degrees outside in New York, and this club, of course, the air conditioning was turned off in the daytime because we were. I mean, I was dying. Oh my god! I mean, sweat was running down my body during oh. the scenes. You know, you like, can't tell. You can't tell when they all look at you when you walk. Okay, it's just like the perfect moment. <laughs> I, I figure I'm using it as a good spa treatment, you know, my skin <laughs> <of the day. laughs> It's good for the skin. <laughs> yes, yes, it makes it glow, just right? Just trying to keep it not, you know, running down your face. It's like <laughs> <laughs> between every scene. <laughs> yeah.
great. I tell you, this glamour business is kind of hard to keep up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right? oh, you look great. <laughs> Thanks. Anything else you're working on? Anything else you want to do? Well, I'm hoping to start doing a podcast. I would love to do that. And I'm kind of exploring some things to do here at home, whether it's a podcast or Instagram cast or different things. Um, because um, I'd, I'd love to, since you did point out that I am a virus nut, please everybody keep wearing your mask. Even if things are opened up, I know Newsom yesterday said everybody's required to again now, but please don't resent it. Just think of it as protecting yourself and your loved ones and wear your mask. And they are coming in all kinds of great patterns now. So yeah. you can be, you can be kind of exotic and, and, you know, think of yourself as doing Scheherazade and being, you know, acting with your eyes. <laughs> yeah. I tell you with my little mask on, I can still be quite seductive. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we got to step up our eye makeup game now. <laughs> well, that's the trick. A lot of a lot of dark eye makeup, you know, yeah. you got you to do everything with your eyes now. But please, everybody, keep wearing your mask. And um, you. and that's, and I'm, of course, hoping that uh, sooner rather than later, we'll start shooting Melange and that it will mm -hmm. get picked up and hoping everybody likes it and, and yeah. likes all these characters as much as I do. And yeah. um, hopefully we'll be shooting that. The producer and I, Tom Dangora, we've already been talking about ways to make it a safe set and um you know and and talking about things like that so yeah hope we can get to work on that really soon well let's thank you let us know stay in touch and uh, we're happy to help in any way we can yeah well, i appreciate you. it i appreciate it thank you guys yeah, thank you, you so much Especially yeah. during these times, little Corona times, you know, it's yeah. like everybody, everybody needs to support each other through the whole thing, especially when people were still locked up in the cold back east. I would go for a walk every day and take flowers and put them on my Instagram, um, you know, pictures of flowers to remind everybody there is spring, there is yeah. life that's coming around and, yeah. um, you know, life is there. Life will always find a way. And yeah. so, um, you know, I think it's really important to keep spirits up and to keep looking forward and to keep moving forward. And, and and I you know people say what do you do I do weird things like I do my nails on colors yeah. <laughs> so last night I did them iridescent blue <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got my nails that have like a few colors too. <laughs> In normal times, I because I'm working, I have to do more normal colors. Mm -hmm. But you know, during during Corona downtime, I can just be a yeah. bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should be like that because I went pale this time around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's easier to keep up because if it chips, you can't tell. <laughs> I tell you, with, with iridescent blue, I don't know if you can see it, but with yeah. iridescent blue. You know, you can tell if it chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks great. It looks they great. do, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it's kind of fun. I got all these iridescent colors, and I just line up and say, "Ooh, what do I want to do today?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so fun being a girl. It <laughs> like, is. It is. It is. <laughs> and I know all the friends girls would love that too. If we were okay. cheering right now, we could all be on a set saying, "Ooh, I'll do yours if you do mine." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I love it. It's so fun. All right. Well. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you for spending some time with us and making our day. We're all in great mood. Oh, now. my goodness. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank so you. Much. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, watch friends. Watch the reruns. You know, yes. appreciate all the kids and that great camaraderie. And, you know, they keep talking about having a reunion or doing mm -hmm. something. I hope they will, you know, because yeah. that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if you listen to our podcast, make sure you subscribe and download. Also, give us nice comments and leave us five stars. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
Thank you, Brian. Bye. Bye.